I'm Frank Morano. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. Well, all of New York, I think actually all the country, maybe even beyond the borders of this country, is still reeling over this horrific mass shooting that takes place on a subway. You know, there's all sorts of things that we as New Yorkers that take the subway on a regular basis might expect. You might expect to see vomit on the subway. You might to see might expect to see someone drunk and passed out. You might expect to see uh, people coming in and begging you for money. You might expect to see dancers or singers or uh, homeless people, whatever the case may be. I think very few of us expect that when we step onto a train in Brooklyn that there's any possibility of a mass shooting. As it stands now, the person that's been identified as a person of interest here, Frank James, is still at large and uh, they're trying to, authorities are trying to track him down. Uh, Joining me to help break this down and uh, add his own insight into this situation is a gentleman that knows a thing or two about uh, leading law enforcement agencies during a time of crisis. Very, very pleased to welcome former New York City uh, police commissioner, former New York City Department of Corrections. His resume is about uh, 20 other pages long with all the things that he's done in public life and private life. Commissioner Bernard Carrick. Commissioner, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank. So uh, why are they calling this fellow, Frank James, a person of interest right now instead of a suspect? Well, I I don't know. Uh, You know, it really depends on uh, the overall evidence they have. Um, Usually that's the beginning signs that, um, you know, he's the guy they're looking for. I think there may be some some points they want to sew up and, and conclude um, but by the looks of things, by the sounds of what I'm hearing at headquarters and, uh, and from people downtown, I think this is their guy. Uh, I think it's somebody that, um, you know, is going to wind up being charged with these crimes, uh, the shooting itself and, and possibly other crimes. Um, you know, only time will tell. I think it's, uh, it's a little premature to, uh, to classify this, um, you know, well, I want to take a step back for a second, Frank. I want to make this clear. I've heard that um, the police commissioner said uh, they didn't want to classify this as an act of terrorism. Uh, I heard the mayor said it was premature to say. Here's what I would say uh, to both of them and to the general public. Go on the FBI website. Look up the definition for domestic terrorism. Violent criminal acts committed by individuals and or groups to further ideological goals stemming from domestic influences, such as those of a political, religious, social, racial, or environmental nature. Now, anybody that looks at this guy's social media campaigns, um, his social media platform, this guy is a black radical, uh, believes in black nationalism. He's no different than those that were uh, battling the U.S. Uh, back in the 70s, 80s, like the Black Liberation Army, Black Panther Party. Um, he's an extreme racist. Uh, this is a guy that was outraged because the new Supreme Court, Justice Jackson, is married to a white man. Um, this guy is what I would consider a domestic terrorist. You got on that train, um, you know, pre-planned an attack 
used the smoke um, grenade, uh, detonated that to create chaos, opened fire, shot 10 people, uh, injured 29 in total, um, because he basically is an extreme racist. Um, I don't know, by the FBI's classification, he's a domestic terrorist. And I, and I think we live in a, in a society today where everybody is afraid to call it what it is. That's pretty much what I see. And unless somebody has something that changes my mind, uh, that's what I would name it and call it. And it's important to know that uh, you can be a terrorist even if you're not an Islamic fundamentalist. You can be a, a white nationalist terrorist. You could be a, a black radical terrorist. So your read of his social media postings is that he falls into that latter category, that he's just so uh, up in arms about uh, about a race war or something that he's, so, he's driven to violence because of it. Yeah, the stuff is all over his uh, social media posts from what I've seen. And what people are reporting, some of the stuff I haven't seen, but I did see him personally um, making comments in videos. Um, Some of this stuff is outrageous. Uh, And I don't know what the FBI was looking at him for in 2019, but he was on their radar. Um, So that'll be a, a point of interest later on down the line as well, I would imagine. It does seem that with a lot of these bombers or or a lot of these terrorists, whether it was the Orlando nightclub uh, shooter, whether it's the uh, Times Square bomber, that the FBI knows who these guys are in advance. I mean, even the Sarnayev brothers, who was, uh, you know, were responsible for the Boston Marathon bombing. Russia had given U.S. authorities a heads up that, hey, these guys might be trouble. Uh, Why is it that so often the FBI sees seems that they, uh, they know who these folks are, and yet these folks are then still in a position to acquire uh, heavy-duty weapons. Well, you know what, Frank? Uh, I think some of that comes out of this fear today for law enforcement to do their job because they're afraid of backlash. Um, the bottom line is, uh, in many of these categories, many of these circumstances, the FBI or local law enforcement is notified um, for one reason or another that these people, um, you know, are suspect of something. Um, they're looked at. Um, there's a background done. Um, they may, may even be interviewed, um, depending on what the scenario is. And then the authorities take a step back and they sort of leave them alone. Um, There has to be a flagging mechanism. When you have somebody like this, they start acquiring weapons or they start posting things on their social media. Um, You know, if these are people that were flagged for one thing or another and this other stuff starts to creep up, there must be or should be a way to monitor it. And when it gets, you know, when it when it sort of, you know, uh, goes public and, and uh, you see the ugly side of the guy, then you may want to take action and you may want to take another look at him. That doesn't seem to happen for some reason. And I think they slip through the cracks and, uh, and then you have something like this. 
Uh, Now, there was a report, um, I think it's confirmed by the uh, MTA and by the police, that the subway cameras might have been malfunctioning. Do we know that that it was indeed the case? And uh, were you are you is that a pretty big fail on the part of the on the part of the MTA? Uh, Would we know a lot more and be further along in this process if those subway cameras were functioning? Uh, you know what, Frank? I, I hate the Monday morning quarterback stuff like that, and I don't know if the reports are accurate, whether they failed or not. Um, look, uh, the New York City mass transit system is an enormous, enormous system um, with thousands upon thousands of cameras. Um, were these cameras down at the time? I don't know. Um, I think somebody will have to look and see, one, if they were, two, how long they were down. You know, if they went down yesterday or within the last 36 hours and uh, and they weren't bought, brought back up to service, you know, is, is that, uh, you know, a, a major failure on, on, part of, on the part of the city? You know, some of this stuff takes time to get them back up and running, to have inspectors go out and look at sure. them to see what the problems are. So I, I don't want to criticize anybody there unless we know, you know, if they were down for six months, three months, okay, well, that's a problem. But um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to crucify the city and sure. say, yeah, this is a big issue. Um, when it may not have been. Understood, understood. Now, um, how does a manhunt like this work? By the way, if there are any updates, any briefings from the police commissioner or the mayor or anybody else, we'll bring it to you live. But if you were the commissioner today, how do you go about searching for someone like this who seems to have traveled to New York for the express purpose of committing this savage crime who doesn't live here? Where do you go? Well, listen, you know, when I was uh, I, I did a number of interviews this morning and I predicted um, that they would have him identified within hours. And they did. Um, how do they do that? Uh, primarily through data collection, uh, you know, the cameras, the phones, uh, fingerprints, things of that nature. Um, you know, these are things that no, nobody does this stuff better than the NYPD. Number one. Number two. They're working in conjunction with the terrorist task force, which is, you know, a multitude of agencies, including the FBI, the ATF, the New York State Police. So they have the best of the best uh, when it comes to enforcement. They have numbers like nobody else has in the country uh, in resources. Um, So they got him identified. And now as far as finding him, um, I, I don't want to get into specifics mm-hmm. uh, at this point because he's not in custody, um, and you don't know what the hell he's listening to. He may be listening to your show. <laughs> so uh, the bottom line is um, there's a number of things they can do uh, to identify and, and locate uh, places uh, that he's been in the past, people he knows, friends, family, uh, things like that. You know, it's like when somebody gets off Rikers Island, right? Somebody somebody escapes from a jail, any jail, any prison. You know, people say, oh, it's a needle in a haystack. You're never going to find them. We usually find them within 36 hours. There are certain things people do um, after they escape, and we know what they are, and we know where to go look for them. This is the same type of thing. So uh, I, I'm confident. Um, they will have him in custody in short order 
may take a day or two, but um, they'll, they'll get them. I appreciate the fact that you don't want a Monday morning quarterback here uh, because there are a lot of other folks that are, and it's brought to brought to mind, brought to the forefront, a lot of concerns about safety and security in the subway. Now, if someone wants to do something like this, if someone wants to uh, shoot a bunch of people on the subway and uh, they're determined to commit an act of terrorism like this, is there really anything that can be done to stop them on a subway system as vast as New York? Or are these the kind of soft targets that you've been warning about for 21 years? They, they, this, is the pri- this is a primary soft target. How many times, Frank? that we talked about New York City being a target-rich environment for people like this. It just is because the magnitude of the people, the movement, the mass transit system, the, the, uh, the bus system, the, the uh, you know, Grand Central Station at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just the middle of Grand Central Station, something like that. Look, um, we're always going to be a target-rich environment based on the numbers. Um, and, and I got to be honest, you could have a cop in each one of those cars on the train and you could still get a guy if he wanted, if he was, you know, laser focused, he could, you know, take out five, 10, 15 people mm. before the cops took him out. Um, you know, it really depends. The only way you can get these guys and stop them and prevent them from doing something like this is if you get them in advance. If you, um, you know, if you have intelligence and you take them out before they do what they're going to do. And and that's one of the reasons I've always said uh, since the aftermath of the 9-11, there's nothing more there's nothing more important to us than our intelligence capabilities. Mm. No, you've been very consistent with that. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with former New York City Police Commissioner Bernard Carrick. In your view, though, uh, a lot of people are going to be going to work in a few hours. Uh, some people may be uh, going out if they're out. Uh, if they're off on Friday, they may be going out tomorrow night. And we're planning on taking the subways. Do you think the subways are safe for New Yorkers? Would you have any reluctance about allowing your own children to take the subways? No. What I just uh, what I would say is, you know, pay attention to who's around you. If you see anything suspicious let somebody know call 911 um you know and uh i'm sure uh especially now and until they have this guy in custody there'll be added coverage substantially added coverage um to ensure that new yorkers are safe and secure uh, and as far as a prediction on apprehension goes do you think we're looking at 24 hours a week more or less what do you think no i'd say it's sooner than later Really? Okay. Yeah, I'd say it's sooner than later. What did you make of the mayor's comments? And uh, I, I'm sure the mayor was frustrated being stuck under quarantine with this uh, with COVID, and he wasn't able to be at the scene there. But he did uh, address uh, reporters and the public via video. He seemed to be placing a great deal of emphasis on on guns, which he's emphasized before when it comes to previous crimes. Do you think that's a misplaced emphasis? It always is. It always is. Uh, You know, listen, when something like this happens, look at the lunatics that committed the act of violence. You know what? Uh, Let's find out if it was a a legal gun or not. Let's find out if this guy had a criminal record and he shouldn't have had a gun at all. You know, 90 percent, 90 percent. 
8% of the time, um, you know, you have these politicians get up, start talking all this garbage about how we need stricter gun laws. You cannot physically have any stricter gun laws in New York City than you have today. It's impossible. You can't. So don't tell me stricter gun laws is the answer. It's not the answer. The answer is lock up the bad guys when you find them and stop them from doing what they're doing. Make sure they go to jail and they stay there. Get a prosecutor in place that's going to prosecute and enforce the law. Get a governor in place that won't add these bail reform laws to the laws and, and, and let people out of jail and don't let them get locked up. And when it comes to crime in general, not necessarily this specific incident, but when it comes to every crime category, with the exception of maybe murder and rape, crime was already up last year over the year before that. Crime was up the year before that over the year before that. And crime within the first four months of the Adams administration is already up uh, pretty significantly. And it doesn't seem like it's due to a lack of emphasis on crime fighting under Mayor Adams. Uh, How do you think Mayor Adams is doing addressing the crime issue in general? I think he has to be more aggressive. Stop being, you know, I when I listen to him and I hear him speak like I heard him today, it's annoying. Eric Adams knows exactly what has to be done to reduce crime in this city. He was a lieutenant under my command when I was police commissioner. I am 1,000% confident he knows what has to be done. Stop cowering to the left. Do your job. Do what's right. Forget, forget all the woke garbage. Do what's right. And then go to the governor and tell the governor that you've got to get rid of this prosecutor and prosecutors like him. Uh, on the crime issue, you know, I heard Eric Adams on the Bernie and Sid show last week. And uh, to his credit, he came on, even though it's a right-leaning show and most of his constituency is left-leaning. And it was very interesting, the words that he used. Uh, Bernie McGurk asked him about, the, um, about bringing back the anti-crime unit and about an emphasis on broken windows policing, which worked very well when you were police commissioner and under your two predecessors. He was very careful. He said, no, we're not bringing back an anti-crime unit. We're bringing back, we're bringing about an anti-gun unit. And then he also said, we are not going back to broken windows. I'm not returning to broken windows. A second, I don't have an anti-crime unit. I have an anti-gun unit. Why do you think he was so eager to run away from those two terms, anti-crime unit and broken windows, when if you look at the descriptions of those two things, it looks pretty similar to what Mayor Adams is doing? It's 100 percent the same thing. It's stupidity. And here's exactly what he did. He cowered to the left. He didn't want to say the words that they don't like him to say. That's why he said it. Anti-crime units, plainclothes units in the NYPD, their primary focus on the job. And I was there. I was an anti-crime cop. I know. In Midtown South, in Times Square. Our sole function in life was to take guns off the streets. That's your job. So you can call it an anti-gun unit. You can call it an anti-crime unit. You can call it Martian unit. You can call it whatever you want. Bottom line is... That's the thing you're doing. You're taking guns off the streets. It's not about the name. It's about the function. Uh, lastly, sir, on the on the gun 
uh, question. Yesterday, the president, even before this, President Biden uh, sought to make an issue of these ghost guns, and he wants greater regulation of these ghost guns, including um, a very high-profile crime in New York that involved these ghost guns recently, basically with these make-your-own-gun kits. Uh, keeping in mind what you said, that you always think that there's this uh, this tendency among politicians, particularly Democratic politicians, to demagogue the gun issue. Do you think greater regulation of ghost guns, things like background checks and so forth, do you think that's wise? <laughs> Frank, I haven't seen one violent felon um, submit an application for a background check. Not one. Right. Not one ever. Right. Violent felons, people that go out to rob with firearms, guns, they're not doing it with legal guns. They're doing it with illegal guns. They're doing it with guns they stole, guns that somebody got for them. That's what they're doing it with. You don't see NRA members running into a store, robbing the store and shooting up trains. You don't see that. This whole issue is stupidity. You know what? We had the same issues under Giuliani that they have today, but it was a little different. You know how it was different? It was five times worse when Giuliani took office than it is today. Mm -hmm. Five times worse. And yet we dropped the violent crime by 65%. We dropped the murder rate by 70 And in the black community, we dropped the murder rate by almost 80%. So don't tell me it can't be done. Don't tell me it doesn't work. Don't tell me broken windows doesn't work. Don't tell me it has to be a, a, a an anti-whatever he said, anti-gun unit versus anti-crime unit. It's, that's, it's all nonsense. The bottom line is the NYPD knows their job. Back them up. Indemnify them. Give them the resources and the training to do their job. And let them go do the damn job and you would reduce crime in the city of New York. On that note, Commissioner Carrick, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'm sorry that so often it's under tragic circumstances. Uh, I'll look forward to getting together with you in person sometime soon, and I'll always look forward to our chats on the radio. Thanks, Frank. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.